Propaniacs. Welcome to Propaniacs, a King of the Hill podcast. I'm your host, Melton McMainerberry, and I hope your body temperature is optimal for a date with Season 3, Episode 4, Pregnant Pause. So, let's get it on. But not before we acknowledge that this episode was brought to you by Goober Smooch's Restaurant, dumpster fire-free since 1999. So first, let's talk about some general themes of this episode. The first that I want to bring out is fairly straightforward. The episode is about infertility and the complicated emotions and family dynamics that go along with it. But the second is maybe less obvious. Okay, I admit, maybe even a stretch, but let's have some fun, shall we? I read something here about trusting authority and credentialed expertise versus something like vigilantism and going rogue to solve one's problems. So let's get into the episode and see how these themes play out. So this episode is broken down into an A and a B story. And in Act 1, in the A story, we learn that Lady Bird can't get pregnant. Why? Because she has a narrow uterus. We also learn more about how exactly it all went down with Hank and Peggy when they were dealing with infertility early in their marriage. That's the A story. The B story is much simpler. Dale is a bounty hunter. Well, in the episode itself, the writers don't waste any time establishing what drives this A story. And that's Lady Bird's need to breed, if you will, and Hank's affection for Lady Bird expressed in what I guess he sees as protection of her purity and modesty. In particular, Hank's objection to Lady Bird's wearing his old underwear because it's not even good enough for him anymore establishes for us or just reminds us where Lady Bird is in Hank's pecking order, essentially at the top of it. Okay, I don't know what Hank would say about that if asked, but this episode is about how his actions and his reactions show that, in fact, that is how he thinks of Lady Bird. And more importantly to the episode, that's how Hank thinks of his family in comparison. We see more of this disturbing esteem, I guess it is, that Hank has for Lady Bird. In this scene where Buck brings one of his hounds over for this $500 breeding session. I mean, it's played for laughs and it's definitely funny, especially the contrast between Hank's dinner date formality and Buck's grounded crassness. But it's important in the episode because Peggy observes all of it. And she kind of banks it in this 13-year-old reserve of resentment that she has for Hank. But it's late in the first act before we finally see the richness of this A story and how the effort to breed Lady Bird parallels Hank and Peggy's struggles with infertility before Bobby was born. Now, as soon as they show this flashback of young Hank and Peggy, all that is as obvious as one of Doyle Harcavey's musings. But something not to miss in this flashback is how unwilling Hank was to try anything at all, any techniques to overcome his and Peggy's obstacle to having a baby of their own, and that would be, of course, his narrow urethra. Some of those techniques, some less controversial ones, are mostly played for laughs. I mean, the switch to boxer shorts especially, right? But the hints are there of where this episode is going, and it's really well constructed as it will play out in the second act. Also, Give me a break, Hank. That's just how you were raised by your mother and father as opposed to a test tube? You mean Cotton and Tilly? Yeah, that was a fairy book marriage and household, as Bill would say, if there ever was one, right? Anyway, Peggy, whose powers of perception were greatly called into question in the previous episode, she's going to show that she didn't miss the significance of any of this in this episode. So how now will Hank react 
when it's not his narrow urethra, but ladybird's narrow uterus that are preventing ladybird from getting pregnant. Well, while all that was going on in the A story, the writers also wasted no time establishing the B story. Dale as a bounty hunter. It seems so obvious when you say it out loud. Why had no one thought of it before? And I do wonder what made the writers think of this. I mean, it does seem right up Dale's prudence barren alley to be a bounty hunter, but this episode came out several years before that guy Dog the Bounty Hunter, remember him, before he became famous. At first I thought that's where the King of the Hill writers must have gotten the idea, but maybe it was the other way around. And here's that second theme I mentioned, right? The idea of vigilanteism, of going rogue, of taking the law into one's own hands, if you will. Dale says it, right? It's a classic Dale quote. You're telling me there's a poorly trained, quasi-legal police force that operates with few, if any, government controls? It's about time. With apologies for the bad Dale accent. We also see, as Dale completes this joke of a training course for bounty hunters, something that we see all the time in King of the Hill, a cavalier cultural attitude towards safety. It's like Dale fits in better with this community than we might initially think. His incompetence is often the differentiator between him and others, and that's certainly what we'll see in this episode. But his penchant for chasing things and using weapons on them is just part of the culture he's in, it seems. Moreover, doing that independently seems to be a part of the culture as well. It's certainly part of Dale's personality. I mean, in his profession, Dale is always seen as an independent exterminator. No partners, no employees, no bosses, no network of fellow exterminators, etc., etc. Just Dale, his van with the dead ant on top, and his army of chemicals. Furthermore, recall that Dale is not licensed as an exterminator. We learned that in King of the Ant Hill. We also learned in that episode that he's terrible at exterminating, at least by conventional, scientifically endorsed means. What he was good at in that episode was more off-script, an individual connection that he had with the ants that he seems to have developed all on his own. So, as a bounty hunter, it seems that Dale is going to be just as rogue as he is as an exterminator. He's barely been trained at all. He seems to be planning to operate all on his own, and very loose camaraderie that comes with the license that he has to do this type of work, a blue baseball hat to replace that brownish one he always wears, is the closest thing he'll have to a community or team to do this dangerous work with. So that's where Act 1 leaves us. In Act 2, in the A story, we'll start to see the details of how the effort to get Ladybird pregnant really does parallel the effort or lack thereof to get Peggy pregnant 13 years ago. And in the B story... We'll see what happens when Dale goes fully vigilante as a bounty hunter. But it's not just more Dale B-story comic relief. Let's note that. We'll see these stories, these A and B stories, come together at the end of this act. So, as Act 2 begins, there's a lot going on here. As Peggy's long-suppressed, fertility-related resentment of Hank finally boils over. Thermometers and hormone biscuits now... But 13 years ago, he wasn't willing to switch from briefs to boxers. The Tellington Touch now, but he wasn't willing to try anything different in the bedroom. It's not just that Peggy recognizes that Hank's willingness to work to overcome Ladybird's infertility when he was not at all willing to work to overcome his own, to say nothing of his overriding Peggy's mother's number on the speed dial of Buck Strickland's, essentially places Peggy below the dog in Hank's esteem. 
That's certainly the case, but it's even worse than that. Because a professional had given young Hank concrete things to try, some of which were pretty low-hanging fruit, which Hank refused full stop. But a professional had just told Hank in no uncertain terms that there was no chance of ladybirds ever conceiving. There's nothing you can do. It's just not going to happen. So Hank not only bucked the professional advice in both cases, he went out of his way to, wait for it, go rogue by taking positive action based on advice from two lay people with presumably no credentials at all. Hey, keep your comments about this podcast to yourself. I hear you out there. But all this with Hank and Peggy reaches its climax a few scenes later when the parallels collapse into one thing, in vitro fertilization. And again, it's not just that Hank is accepting something now that he refused 13 years ago. It's more than that. It's that he's gung-ho about it. It's that he's willing to go all the way to Michigan to do it, for goodness sake. And it's that he is listening to science over tradition now, but wouldn't do so then. Hank even goes from saying that in vitro fertilization was explicitly wrong for animals, to now saying that if it's safe enough for humans in France, it's probably safe enough for dogs in America. And the A story ends in Act 2 with Peggy beyond incensed, as her reading of all this, and who can blame her at this point, is that Hank quite simply loves his dog more than he loves her. How will the writers sort this out? Or are we really headed for a Hank-Peggy separation here? That doesn't seem like King of the Hills style, does it? Well, meanwhile, during all this, Dale is getting his first grounded taste of real-life bounty hunting, and the bail bondsman calls out that cavalier attitude towards safety that we noted in Act 1 when he tells Dale that the other guys are, quote, experienced professional bounty hunters. You're just a deluded bug sprayer who took a four-hour course, learned a few chokeholds, and got a hat. So maybe this cavalier attitude isn't as endemic in this community as I previously said. When legitimate professionals show up, Dale's already silly cowboy attitude starts looking downright pathetic. It's like Dale stopped being a cartoon for a second and entered live-action reality. Ah, put it back, put it back. But after several funny scenes of Dale's vigilante futility... Release the hounds. Act 2 ends with the A and B stories coming together as Dale dognaps sweet, old, docile ladybird. Well, we now get to Act 3, and the A and B stories have merged now as Hank and Peggy resolve their intertwined struggles with infertility, and Dale's day as a bounty hunter is left less resolved. But both resolutions center around a passive ladybird, Poor thing, she's just along for the ride in all this craziness. So Act 3 starts out with a nice callback to the Season 1 episode, Hank's Got the Willies, the episode in which Peggy was frustrated that Hank evidently loved not his dog, but his guitar more than her, as in this episode, Peggy, in her mechanical way, almost takes out her frustration on Hank's other favorite things from that episode, his golf clubs and his lawnmower. And the real point here is that the stakes are high. Peggy has snapped, if you will, because family and home and, and her place and role in them are of fundamental importance to Peggy. We saw a lot of that in Peggy's Turtle Song. So now, as we are at Jim Hellstrom's, this kind of like bunker he has out in the wilderness, now we see what Dale's plan in dog napping Ladybird was. 
because I don't know, listeners, maybe you figured it out immediately, but I was scratching my head. It wasn't clear to me exactly what he was doing. But to Dale's credit, I guess, his scheme is actually pretty clever, if reckless, foolish, dangerous, and absurd. And again, we're seeing lines between this and King of the Ant Hill. As the more an incompetent Dale planned and schemed, the more devastating the results. Dale is doing this rogue vigilante thing, and the deeper he gets into it, the further away from any sort of credentialed authority or team he gets, the smaller his chances of success and the greater his chances of hurting others. And to an extent, that's what happened with Hank when he and Peggy were trying to conceive in those flashbacks, right? Hank's I'll-do-it-my-way attitude hurt Peggy clearly very deeply from what's coming out in this episode. And now, ironically, Hank's reversal, of course, only rubs salt in Peggy's wound because he wasn't willing to swallow his pride for her, but is willing to do so for the family dog. So all this finally comes out into the open on Hank and Peggy's car ride to Jim Hellstrom's place to retrieve Ladybird, with Peggy saying, I am sick of you acting like you care more about that dog than you do about me, your human wife. So that sums it up pretty clearly and explicitly, right? And Hank starts to deny it, but here again, and this is really at the heart of their conflict throughout the episode, Hank's actions speak louder than his words. And Peggy says that as well, right? She says, you never jumped through any hoops for me. Hard to argue with that. And there it is. Hank and Peggy's love is a practical love, a love of service to each other, a love of doing, of action. If Hank is doing for his dog what he wouldn't do for Peggy, his denying preferring his dog over his wife is going to fall pretty flat to his wife. So with that in mind, I find Hank's reply here fascinating. Hank's refusal to get scientific when he and Peggy were facing infertility wasn't, according to him, because he loved Peggy less than he loves Lady Bird, but in fact, because he loves her more. He actually valued something more with Peggy than mechanical action when it came to conception. In fact, it sounds like he would have considered it demeaning to do something more, if you will, clinical so that he and Peggy could conceive. In other words, that would be treating Peggy like a dog. Okay, I'm going to admit it's a little hard to square this with what we know because, come on, trying boxer shorts would have been too academic for him. But if we let that detail slide and write it off to comic relief, I have to say I find Hank's explanation both convincing and moving. In fact, there's even more to it. As we hear the beginning of what sounds like it's going to be the first multi-story arc in King of the Hill, if you don't count Propane Boom 1 and 2 as an arc, Hank and Peggy want to have another baby. And that desire was really at the heart of Hank's effort to breed Ladybird all along. Hmm. Are you buying it, listeners? Or do you think Hank is backtracking after getting called out for how he wronged Peggy? I think it's a fair thing to ask, though I have to say I don't think the episode really invites that question. It seems we're expected to take Hank's words at face value. Peggy certainly does, and Peggy is clearly touched by them. But Hank's still going rogue, right? Is he going to listen to the doctors this time? It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like he's going with the home remedy that worked the first time, which was a puppy. But anyway, within the plot of the episode, with Hank and Peggy's conflict now resolved, Peggy's resentment turns into resolve. Resolve to rescue Ladybird from the danger that she's in. Because Ladybird is Peggy's dog too. 
And here is the fierce, driven, no-nonsense version of Peggy that comes out from time to time. She literally takes the wheel from Hank here and reminds him and us why Peggy is such a perfect er, mate for Hank. This is the flip side of the attitude that was about to destroy both the lawnmower and the golf clubs. It's a don't-mess-with-Texas style of nurturing and protecting her family that I guess we have to say is Peggy at her best. So, Hank and Peggy have rescued Lady Bird, and all seems well and resolved with the A story, although we don't know what's going to happen yet with this whole trying to have another baby potential story arc. But before we leave this episode, we have to resolve the B story. Well, I guess actually we don't. Dale has met his match in this subject that he's bounty hunting. I mean, really, these guys are two sides of the same coin, and it seems they will continue in this stalemate they've established in perpetuity. Oh, well. So what do we think of this episode? Well, this is yet another season three classic. Season two also started really strong like this, if you remember, and it will be interesting to see if season three is able to keep up the consistency more than I think season two did. It's interesting, at least as far as the ratings of yours truly, neither season two nor season three has reached the peak levels of brilliance of season one. But the show now feels much more like it has found a rhythm and has hit its stride. So we'll see how all that plays out in this season. But as far as this particular episode, I'm going to go with another seven consistent goober smooches. What's not to like about this episode? The humor was there. Lots of terrific one-liners that we didn't go into here necessarily because they didn't really relate to the main themes that we were teasing out. But they were there. The plot was clever. The payoff at the end was really nice. And I'm going to stick to my guns. Because who's going to stop me? That this episode was playing not only with questions on infertility, but also with questions about authority versus vigilanteism. Okay, listeners, let's tip our bounty hunter hats to another great King of the Hill Season 3 episode and take our studs home until our next session, when we'll run this new pregnancy story arc aground in the episode Next of Shin. That's right, it's a cotton episode. Until then, you can email me MeltonMcMainerberry at gmail.com or find me on Instagram. And don't forget to check out my other podcast, Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music. Until next time, freeze! Bounty Hunter!